Welcome to the Global Band Group, a podcast that brings you stories, news, and great guests from across the world of wind, brass, marching band, and drum corps. My name is Keith Kelly, and I'm a band director from the west coast of Ireland. Each episode, I sit down with band musicians and directors from across the world to talk about their stories, their bands, and how they're making an impact in their communities. Before we start, you can find out more about the podcast and the people and stories that we feature over at bandsofireland.com forward slash the global band room. And you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at the global band room. And now on with the show. Welcome to the Global Band Room. It's been a few weeks since the last regular episode of the podcast. And for anyone joining me from the Finding Drum Corps documentary, you're very, very welcome. And a huge back to everyone else too. On today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by the amazing and wonderful composer and conductor, Emer Noon. And we'll be chatting about her career in video game and movie music and how she started out her career in music here in the West of Ireland and in the Ballinus Town Band. But first, I wanted to give a few updates as to how the podcast will be moving forward. You know, the very first episode I did this year was on March 16th, and it was on the Bands of Ireland Facebook page. And it was really just a way of coping with everything being cancelled and closed down. I felt that as a community, if we could share our fears and concerns about the COVID crisis and see the music educators and band musicians around the world were in the same situation, it might give us all some bit of comfort. And from that we worked on projects like the Ireland's Call Virtual Band and the River Shannon Project with Lone Star Wind Orchestra and Julie Giroux and it also led to the Finding Finding Drum Corps podcast. All that being said, I'm not an interviewer and I'm not sure I'm very good at it honestly. I talk way too much, I stumble and I stutter and I go on for very long and adventurous tangents. There's a lot of people out there in the band world doing interviews so much better than I ever could. However, with the Finding Drum Corps podcast, I found a format and platform that I think I could bring value to the band and drum corps community moving forward. I really enjoyed working on this long form, researched and evocative style of show. And I know there's dozens more stories from our community that could be told using a similar format. So moving forward, the Global Band Room is going to be producing a number of narrative focused mini series podcasts on a wide range of band related subjects starting this October with a series looking at the band world's response to the coronavirus. I'll be looking at the effects it's had on music education and the production of virtual performances by musicians across the world. I'll also be producing a final episode for series one of Finding Drum Corps, looking at the Drum Corps world's response to 2020 and what the future might hold for us. From time to time, a guest or conversation is just too good not to feature in its entirety, however. So I'll be releasing these as special episodes on the Global Bandroom feed, which is where you'll also be able to catch one of these mini-series too. My video interviews will continue, but for now they'll be hosted on the Bands of Ireland Facebook page only, and they'll predominantly focus on Irish band community stories. But of course, we'd love to have our international friends head over to facebook.com forward slash Bands of Ireland and show us your support there too. So if you're already subscribed to the Global Band Room podcast, you don't need to do anything else. But if you're not, head over and make sure you subscribe so that you don't miss out on any of the upcoming series and interviews, just like this one. I had the pleasure to meet Eber Noon recently as she helped launch a fundraising campaign for the band that I teach in Banlaslow. Emer grew up close by and was a member of the band before moving on to have one of the most successful careers in composition and conducting. From her compositions and orchestrations of music for video games such as World of Warcraft, to this year being the first woman to conduct at the Oscars, Emer is truly an Irish superstar and it's been wonderful to have her support for our band in Ballinasloe and for her to join me on this episode. Hi Emer, delighted to have you on the Global Band Room today. Um, this episode really feels like I'm both moving away from what I normally do, which is predominantly band work, but also then getting very close to home with being uh, be, with you being from Ballinasloe and from from the west of Ireland and having grown up in the band that I now teach all the kids in. So it's 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 a it's a different sort of episode for me. I'm delighted for to have you here today. Thanks, Keith, and I'm delighted that you're doing this, and also I'm delighted that you're in Ballinasloe uh, with a band that is very, very dear to me. 
Uh, well, it, it, only last week I had the opportunity to uh, actually play with you with the Balna Slow Band. Uh, you brought your flute along to a concert that we were doing, and that was that was absolutely lovely. Um, we'll we'll get to some of the some of your your sort of early formative years with Balna Slow and in various different groups um, a little later. But for anyone that doesn't know you, um, Emer, tell tell me a little bit about the work that you do. I'm very excited to talk to you about a lot of this because I haven't actually had the opportunity to uh, really tell you about how much time I spend playing video games <laughs> so I'm very uh, very excited to talk to you about some of your work tell me a little bit about what the, the work that you've been doing over um, the last number of years before 2020 got in the got in the way sure well my creative and performing life is actually very diverse I think that reflects my musical interests which run the gamut of genres uh, with of course the orchestra being at the forefront of everything for me but it's how many genres can I get stuck into through the medium of the orchestra? Uh, so that's taken me all over mm. the place. And, you know, I mean, I started composition really young and I kind of started backwards. I was writing, I was 17, I was writing, um, uh, you know, serialism and, and atonal music and aleatoric music and all of this. And I came to a place where, uh, not having come from a musical family, I wanted to create music that for your ordinary regu regular citizen walking into the concert hall, that they could feel something without me telling them what to feel or, or without, even without the intellectual or a musical education being part of it. I, I suppose I mm. always, you know, wanted to write music that my dad, who was a very sort of very... Uh, without taking away from his masculinity but he was always somebody who was very in touch with his emotions and I felt that hmm. you know I wanted to create music that that would reach out to him without him ever knowing anything about it and that drew me of course in in the classical repertoire to program music uh, even though gosh I mean at 20 I was conducting Irish premieres of Steve Reich and stuff I love I love 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 contemporary art music as well but mm -hmm. I mean for me there's there's things I do for myself that are, are fun as a performer and a conductor, but I, I definitely feel my role is in service to the audience, and I mean the general public. Um, so I was drawn to film music. Uh, program music led me to film music, and I remember um, watching as a child, watching um, Willow, that film uh, scored by James Horner, yeah. and it just blew me away how he brought two what I thought were very separate areas of my musical life together which was um, the orchestral world and the world music aspect which for an Irish child was traditional Irish music and I couldn't believe I was hearing you know penny whistles and I was hearing all kinds of ethnic flutes and things on the score with the orchestra and I thought oh my god this is amazing and how I felt when I heard certain themes actually about four years ago I got to conduct some of that score um, at the um, Fumusite, which is the oldest, I think it's the oldest film music festival in Tenerife. By the way, any musician listening, you want a great yeah. holiday in September, go to Tenerife and go to that festival. All the big composers fly Some in. Some year for... in the future. <laughs> oh, look at, I was supposed to be there this September. Ah, anyway, um, so that brought me, <laughs> yeah, look, we'll get to that. But that brought me then, um, uh, I studied film scoring. Uh, UCLA Extension had an outpost in Dublin, and I got to study with some of the greats. Um, Don Ray, head of music at CBS, came and taught. Um, Robert Drasnan, another, his, his, another head of music at CBS. And I ended up getting hired um, by a very well-known orchestrator as his assistant based on my work. And so that brought me over to L.A., and strangely enough, um, my first job as an orchestrator was working on a video game score, and it was the first World of mm. Warcraft. And nobody knew at the time how just a small game. Deal. Yeah, we. I mean, <laughs> saw us. I mean, I was just so thrilled to be working with the orchestra and writing. You know, I I did most of the work in Dublin in my apartment, and came over to Los Angeles, and we recorded in a university. I mean, later recordings, we, we did all of them at Skywalker Ranch with the, you know, 
hybrid orchestra mm-hmm. of San Francisco Symphony and Ballet and Opera Orchestras. But in the early days... And I mean, for anyone that doesn't know that game, Emer, um, World of Warcraft, uh, it's an online, uh, massive multiplayer online role-playing game, MMORPG yeah. for short, I think. Right, yeah, um, And yeah. Uh, yeah, you log on and you have your avatar and it's in a fantasy world. And I have put many many hundreds of hours into that game over the years um but one of the things that that i always loved about that game were were the soundtracks um it's just absolutely amazing music um and it's a very um well you do know mm -hmm. there's a huge if you take your pie chart of band geeks and your pie chart of gamer geeks uh there's a massive (laughs) massive area of of convergence in the middle i think they almost eclipse you know it's that uh, doesn't that doesn't surprise me (laughs) i i remember um uh i remember being on tour with the um symphony of the goddesses the legend of zelda music uh in and in the united states there was this mother and she had three of her daughters in band at school in, in, in high school and they all played woodwind instruments and they followed me around the country uh, to see the, the, the symphony of the goddesses and showed up in cosplay. I'd show up in Dallas. There wow. they were in, in the foyer. Yeah. You know, I show up in, in Houston, they, wherever we were in the States, I saw this amazing mother and she said she wanted her girls to see a woman on the podium conducting some of their favorite music. And oh my gosh, that I didn't kidnap them and adopt them. And, you know, they're just to see a family. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, fellow, ga- fellow band geek. Hello. Um, but uh, <laughs> so, so we, we've um, then, you know, it was, it was really being led by, you know, fascination for the orchestra and a fascination for music. But my first actual credit happened by accident I was in first year in Trinity College in the music department and uh, fourth one of the fourth years came in and it was David Downs who went on to create Celtic Woman uh, the huge phenomenon that mm. is and David um, comes into the the college bar this is how it's done in Ireland folks anyone who's listening from you know the college bar in Trinity College the buttery if you're watching normal people you will know what I'm talking about <laughs> it's all set <laughs> Lenny Abramson director of normal people went to the same same college so um anyway we're all there and he goes what are you guys all doing tomorrow and because we were the music students we all sang in the chapel choir so we different repertoire every week we we're sight reading plain chant, sight reading Lottie, sight reading Parry, all of, you know, the early Renaissance stuff and, and up as far as, you know, we did a bit of, um, um, oh my gosh, was that American choral composer who did a lot of his stuff? Amazing. I'll think of it in a second. Um, but we did, and, and we did a lot of Arvo Pert and things like that. So we could sight read well. And uh, he said, come into the studio tomorrow. It's, you know, 40 pounds each which you know when I say that it was (laughs) pre-euro right so I have yeah that's not a bad day's work yeah I have a vivid memory of sitting on on the carpet in a studio that no longer exists in Dublin you know handwriting SATB uh, on a piece of manuscript paper and us you know singing it and you know we got our 40 pounds whatever went and blew it all on a night out as students in Ireland do and um (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then promptly forgot about it all I knew was it was something for some Japanese composer and then about six months later my brother calls me in a panic going oh my god oh my god oh my god did you did you work on Metal Gear Solid (laughs) and I said no what are you talking about he goes no I'm pretty sure you did I'm looking at your credit on screen right now and um it's funny i told this story in another interview a couple of years ago and a fan actually took a screen cap and sent it to me of the credit because that's now a classic wow. game oh my gosh it's a classic but, it um, it really is yeah, yeah it's it's, it's like, one of those oh, games that's held in very very high esteem no i'm i'm saying oh my gosh i worked on a game that's now thought of as a classic um you know that's that's yeah. not good for one's ego but um so so that was <laughs> by accident and the next one was um was world of warcraft and the next thing was the 25th anniversary of the legend of zelda franchise um 
and in between I was doing indie movies and things like that and, and doing record dates and you know anything that took me into the orchestral space with the musicians and you know I was doing I conducted I nobody really knows this I conducted the Los Angeles Ballet for nine performances of Nutcracker you know and and so yeah. my, my classical my background is 100% classical with some trad Irish thrown mm-hmm. in but um but yeah no no it's always been a mixture and one of the things that took me to LA actually the greatest thing that took me to LA was um the fact that I didn't want to be boxed into one genre the fact that I wanted to try lots and lots of things and I I also felt film scoring and game scoring was an area where I could try out different genres of music because depending on the gameplay mm-hmm. or depending on the the um the time period or the content or the the film storyline you could find yourself having to figure out how to write big band charts you could find yourself having to do any style or period of music i found it really really exciting um and some of my musically most formative experiences you know the way there's a piece that you play or that you learn or conduct and you're a different musician after you've come through that process um, mm-hmm. For instance, I, I remember doing, I was 20, conducting Listorda Soldat, Stravinsky's Soldier's Tale, and afterwards I was a different musician, doing, um, working with Gladys Knight and her band with orchestra. I came out of that and I went, okay, I finally know what groove is, uh, because mm. I've had to try and get an orchestra to groove with this magnificent band that is the icon herself, her band. I was a different musician after that. I, and, and experiences that, you know, working in the studios with percussionists who are orchestral players, but also play world music and jazz every other day. You know, that's a different, I mean, the way those guys can groove, you can't unhear it or unfeel, more like you can't unfeel that. So um, a lot of what I, I learned as well was, there's certain improvising jazz musicians one of my best friends is a a pianist called michael lang and mike's probably the most recorded uh studio pianist alive i'd say at this point he's in his Mm mid-70s and uh going to catalina catalina's jazz club on sunset and sitting listening to jazz to, to to mike and say um uh mike valerio on bass who you know, fun fact, uh, if you know John Williams' Catch Me If You Can score, the um, the jazz, mm. I think it's a trio or a quartet uh, inside of the orchestra. He specifically wrote that for those specific players, and Mike was the bass player, you know. And, you know, these Amazing. incredible musicians who are both improvising jazz musicians and sight read like, oh my gosh, unbelievable, unbelievable studio, studio orchestra musicians, but also can cross genres in a, in not in a fake way, not in a, a pastiche kind of way, but they can inhabit, really inhabit uh, a genre. And uh, they're so used to it from the studio and from um, being around musicians of different cultures. I mean, we're close to Mexico. We have a lot of South Americans in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, a lot of great Mexican musicians, um, but we have a lot of Europeans and... Um, uh you know we have every we've more musicians per head of population i think um this is anecdotal now somebody told me this fact than any other city (laughs) in the world um but uh so my my work really is very diverse i love working at the cutting edge of technology bringing together technology and live um live musicians um i work uh in conjunction with a company one of my one of my my collaborators a company called Bass Hologram, um, which is an offshoot of Bass Entertainment, one of the biggest touring companies in the world. And Bass Hologram, the the creative director is such a such a huge Maria Callas fan. They created basically a piece of theater where um, the conductor uh, interacts with a hologram of the great Maria Callas, and. Creating that piece really took us to the nth degree of technology and synchronizing live orchestra with uh, with a hologram and doing oh. it in a way that yeah. um, was musical and that supported 
in a very authentic way supported her interpretations, her original interpretations of, of famous works. And, and that took me, of course, into the world of opera. Um, so my, my um, uh, career is very diverse and very disparate, um, and that's by design. Um, and I suppose, and, I, and gosh, I'm a film composer as well. That's, a, you know, originally... Um, by the way. <laughs> yeah, but that's originally what I came to LA to do. And yeah. because I'm a classically trained conductor... Um, all of a sudden I found myself in the studios because I could sight read well and all of those kinds of things that a, you know, a really good, um, traditional classical music education, um, those kinds of tools that, that, you know, you get thrown into the fray and, um, a, you, you can, you can swim because you have tools at your disposal. So, um, uh, conducting brought me orchestration jobs, which brought me conducting jobs, which brought me composition jobs, which brought me conducting jobs, which brought me orchestration jobs. So um, for me, my my career model, if you like, was um, the Kaipermeister, the the, uh, the old German chapel master who had to, um, you know, play the organ, uh, conduct the choir, and uh, on special occasions write a, a fanfare or a piece of music and bring in, you know, back in the old days, a few trombone players and a few few viols. And actually, you know, by the time the trombones came in, it would have been violins. Um, you know, it's such a nerd. Um, and uh, uh, write, <laughs> write the music, copy the parts, put out the chairs. You know, I've done every mm -hmm. job imaginable I, it's what john yeah. o'connor in cork uh, i don't know what do you know john john o'connor he's a legend down in cork uh legend uh, sax player but also with cork school of music and he's he's been told as musicians for for years that they need to have portfolio careers um and, and encourages them to to learn how to do accounts uh how to market themselves how to uh how to basically run their own personal business. And it really sounds like that's the sort of career that you've excelled at. And and because you're, it sounds like you're as much of an entrepreneur as, as a musician, you've been able to kind of excel at, at a number of these areas. I think I'm more driven by mad curiosity and, you know, an idea of something as in oh my god wouldn't it be great if we had like mad holograms on the stage and we had the orchestra and we had the giant choir and you know we had people <laughs> on wires and blah, blah, blah. i basically create things that i want to see myself and i want to be in the middle of for the pure absolute joy of it and then the rest of it comes later um and you know i'm i'm specific about now because you know well, before COVID, I can be a bit more picky and say, you know what, that that project doesn't emotionally stimulate me or drive me. And I know if I don't have that behind, I'm not going to I'm not going to invest in the way that that I need to. Uh, and I mean, invest mm. um, emotionally, invest uh, creatively. So I'll let that one go. To, there's somebody else for this project, you know, but um uh, I mean, recently we finished uh, an animated feature, myself and my husband, Craig, and his background is both jazz and classical. And he studied with David Baker and then studied with the amazing David Raxon um, at UCLA, amazing composer. I mean, if you want to see some classic film composition, that's just without peer. Look at um, The Bad and the Beautiful or, or Laura. Um, I think he was Oscar nominated for Laura, but um, the you know, and he would be in the tradition of Korngold, who's in the tradition of Shostakovich and and um, and Prokofiev. You know, I mean, there's a line to follow through the classics and and through um, into film and video game music. But um, uh, we just finished this score, and I have to say just this this film was so good it just made every note a joy and then for the first time in since I was a student um, I got to record with a whole lot of friends in the orchestra in particular you know the brass section most of them were in an orchestra my classmate and I set up in Trinity when I was 19 years of age and it was 
pure joy. And now when I listen to the recording, you can really hear the energy in the room and you can hear joy in, in, in the moments that we had, you know. And I think that's what we're missing in the age of COVID is really you, you can't, I don't care how great samples are. And we have the best samples in the world in this house because we need them mm. to create mock-ups and, and to produce things. But uh, you can't recreate digitally, even putting things together, even these, these you know, uh, world orchestras and choirs and everything. There's a frisson of energy, an ebb and flow of energy that happens when musicians are together in a room. And then there's a different type of energy when those musicians are in a room with a live audience. Um, and it, it's not just the energy, it's the ebb and flow of that energy as the human beings respond to what they're seeing, hearing and playing and how that energy moves and moves us and moves the audience. You know, that's what we need to remember as musicians, but also we need to keep reminding audiences as we come out of this. There's there's shared experience that's, you know, irreplaceable and the the feeling of being together in a moment where everyone's feeling the same thing without speaking and I mean both the musicians and the audience and and you know what those mm -hmm. feelings are like we call them the feels but it's it's just and, it, and it's and when you know that everybody else is feeling it too I mean oh my god I've clearly given this way too much thought in my you know unemployment of the last two weeks <laughs> it's um something that the performers across the world have have really had to struggle with i think since march and, and may have some time to struggle with um yeah. ahead of time I, I mean this is my 20th interview for the global band room podcast and um on every single of one of those interviews this has been a big topic uh, the first interview that i did was on march 14 so it was just as we were shutting down uh, just prior to st patrick's day and uh, this is a big question that we've asked everyone do you think musicians might be uh, more uh, cognizant of of these things moving forward when we do get back to normal um can you see the music world shifting or changing because of what we've been through the last six months it'll definitely change uh, it'll definitely change. Now, there are things to be seized upon that are positive, and uh, we also need to be vigilant and uh, watch out for things uh, that could potentially go on a downward slide. Um, I think uh, we need to be careful in terms of, of orchestras that aren't, for instance, uh, state-sponsored the way we have in Europe I was asked recently, do you agree with state sponsorship? Do you think orchestras are better off without it? And I'm like, no, I totally agree with state sponsorship. Uh, we need mm. to preserve this art form going forward for our future generations um, because it's, it's, it, it's an expensive enterprise and it's a beautiful, beautiful piece of, piece of art that we cannot lose for, from society. Um, I will say this. Uh, I think it's going to push certain technologies that I saw coming. I think it's going to push them forward faster. And on an island like Ireland, um, I think that's a positive because Ireland has always been, you, your world is the island or you leave. And I'm one of the people that left. However, I don't want young Irish musicians to feel like they have to leave. I, I don't. I think if, if you're going to leave leave to experience, leave to experience other music, leave to experience other musicians, leave to be around things that enrich you and enrich you as an artist. Don't leave for employment. That's, I don't, I don't want that for young Irish musicians. And also Irish society and Irish audiences need, needs good work from, from good Irish artists. I, I think, um, uh, te technology is going to, and I can I can think of of one thing in particular that I'm I'm collaborating on. That I please God I I you know I I'm I'm working with some some engineers on something that I'm hoping will be a benefit to to artists getting getting out there uh, with their work uh, in a way that has has no barriers. Because one of the things I learned from World of Warcraft is 
when you technology can be something that breaks down societal, cultural, language, religious boundaries, barriers. Uh, you have people from all over the world, um, every religion, shape, size, uh, coming together. And also people who are differently abled. That's the other thing I'm passionate about is artists who are differently abled being able to tour the way I tour through technology, you know? Mm. Um, touring is hard. Uh, touring is a schlep. And one of the things about touring is it reduces your uh your creative uh time and your your um your creative energy i mean it's it's really weird for me to have such a long period of time where i'm not fighting jet lag at you know <laughs> any at any any moment over the last few months it's like wow i have so much energy what's going on oh yeah i'm not um i'm not fighting you know tour exhaustion or, or jet lag now it is very special to be able to go to a city and I've performed in Wuhan and I've heard from audience members wow. in Wuhan who's, who've been so grateful that we made the trip, so grateful that we brought some color um, with us. And, you know, that is important. But I think technology is going to give us two types of, of touring and two type two ways of getting our work out there. Um that can can be for me i'm looking at it as enhancing my family life where i don't have to get on a plane all the time but i'm still able to make a, a contribution i can see concert halls employing technology in a different way to like for instance the berlin philharmonic has a di their digital concert right hall, which i was going to ask you about that wonderful. yeah i love that but i think it's going to become much more interactive interactive and immersive now that's a double-edged sword too because um, mm. you could find that regional orchestras or, or community orchestras, um, well, less so community orchestras, because community orchestras, you'll always have family in the audience. But um, a regional orchestras and regional opera companies in particular, I think, will need to watch that one, that everybody isn't just saying, oh, let's go and, and virtually attend the, the Met tonight instead of going to our, our local, our regional opera company so i i would um right. i would urge um arts bodies and executive directors um because every region needs their orchestra and they need their own um their own cultural life they need their own ballet company their own their own um their, you know i'm talking about the bigger cities their own opera company mm -hmm. they need they, they they need to feel a part of that I think the positive is, if I can speak to people who are heading up organizations, um, one of the things that I learned from the video game music audience, and they are a very special, special audience, is they expect an experience, not just a concert. They will show up in cosplay Absolutely wonderful. Love it. Well, I, I'm dying for the day when somebody shows up dressed, uh, goes, shows up to a Beethoven concert dressed as the fate theme from Beethoven 5. You know, I'm dying for that day. <laughs> you know, they, you know, let it all hang out. Elitism, there's mm. there's no place for it anymore. You know, I I always... Well, I think I actually, can I ask can I ask you a little bit about that? Because I, I think maybe that's rubbing off on the classical world in L.A., uh, a famous uh, band composer, uh, John Mackey, posted on his social media feed only about a year ago, I'd say, uh, a program from the L.A. Uh, Symphony um, saying to clap when you feel like you want to clap and, uh, you know, take pictures and post it on Instagram. Um, is that just something that's rubbing off from yeah, that world? Yeah, totally. We've been saying that for years. I mean, yeah. for years. I mean, Ta Tommy Tallarico did the first video games live concert. I think it's 17 years ago at the Hollywood Bowl. And that's him saying, you hear something, you want to clap, just clap, you know? Um, I mean, yeah. I always felt like that. I, I, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast, Eamor, are drum corps fans. Um, and if you've never seen a drum corps uh, oh, event have. live, oh, people God. are standing up in the oh, crowd stop. and they are cheering on like it's a football match, you know? And the the life, the, the, the performers on the field are just brought to life by the crowd reacting yeah. to them. And it's this two-way communication. First time, you, and you've been an Irish audience member as well. The first time I went over, I did 
didn't I didn't know what to do. Everyone was standing around me and they were cheering and yeah. I didn't know what to do as that, you know, shy Irish man. <laughs> but uh, yeah. it's it's um it's a different level of communication when when the audience actually reacts. And 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 you know, for any musical historians out there, I mean, a lot of this music was written with that in mind in the first place. For sure. I mean, opera buffa, you know, the buffoons opera as they call it in the in the day. You know, people go into the the in stand uh, on the on the floor of the the opera house, and if the soprano didn't hold the long notes for long, the high notes for long enough, they'd throw orange peel. You bought your orange as the treat going in, <laughs> throw orange peel at her, and you know what? And the the composers wrote these arias with these big. I mean, come on, look, the Queen of the Night aria. What's that about? It's about the top. What is it? An F or an F sharp top F up there, mm. and um. Uh, you know, it's about that spectacle and people cheering for the spectacle when the coloratura, mm. you know, does this in inhuman feat. But um, one of the things I will say though is certain certain things I um, I am sacred about, which is um, I do like the space in between movements of a symphony. I do I, but I feel like mm. introduce people, you know to why that's there. I know a lot of a lot of orchestras are doing that now, but why it's there. You don't clap in the middle of the paragraphs of somebody reading a short story. You you, you want to hear where the story's going. You want you need your, you know, the paragraphs are there for that moment of pause or as a palate cleanser kind of thing, you know? Um for me it's like uh, a symphony is like a, a roof that's held up by four pillars, you know? And and the you know the pillars are there, but the roof is is it goes you know it covers the entire in the, the entire building, um, so it's always that this the silence in between the movements to me is part of 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 letting us savor what's just happened, you know, and then having a moment to breathe, and then a bit of a palate cleansing moment, and then getting ready for what is a continuation of the journey of this musical material, but we're going somewhere else entirely. And it's, you know, it's, it's to, to, to make sure that this somewhere else we're going isn't a jarring experience, you know, and it preserves, uh, the, mm. the, it prever- pres- preserves the structure of, of the first movement. I am a fan of that, but I'm a major fan of letting people into the magic of what, why that exists and the, the beauty of why that's there rather than, oh, you idiot, you clapped in the silence. How uncultured are you? Get out. Right. You know, I, yeah. I, I just feel like yeah. um, Craig is always, you know, there's, there's one thing that, that, that I'm always saying, and he goes, I, I need to print it on a T-shirt is, Music is not elitist. It has no opinion. You know, music doesn't have an opinion. Mm-hmm. So it's we put all this rubbish on it and it and it, and it, it keeps people out of the concert hall. It keeps people feel um, like, you know, it's intimidating or it's and one of the things that, you know, video game music has done is, you know, we would always say hosting the concerts, you know, this is your music. This is your home. You tell me your favorite song is um, the dragon song from from Skyward Sword or from from um, Skyrim, the Dragonborn theme from Skyrim. What you're telling me is your favorite band is the orchestra and the choir. You know your favorite. Your mm. this is this is the music for today. More young people are listening to the sonority of the orchestra, and and let's throw the band in there because. Basically, an orchestra is a band with strings. We all know that. Um, uh, mm-hmm. We we um, uh, this sonority is not their grandparents' music anymore. The sonority of the orchestra and the choir and the brass section is uh, is their music because you don't just you don't just listen to a game score. You inhabit a game for the period of time that you're you're playing it and. And that becomes the soundtrack to your life for that period of time. I mean, it's like when when I hear um, when I hear uh, a song from like you have albums like this where I hear um, Jeff Buckley's Grace album. I'm back in first year in music college, you know. <laughs> but we all have those those those. We all have that music that that we we inhabited, and it forever encapsulates that period of time as we go on in our lives. So I want to talk to you a little bit, a little bit more about video game music before we move uh, into ch- chatting a little bit about your time growing up in the in the west of Ireland in in the Ballinasloe town band. Um, my first real memory of of 
realizing video game music was something special and it was still midi file music was in 1998 with final fantasy 7 with <laughs> nobo yumetso's yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> his music was just amazing and this year actually uh, the remake of that game was made and it was all fully orchestrated and just yeah. listening to that music just brought me back to being you know 14 years of age um, yeah. sitting there with my playstation one playing playing um it seems that over the last 20 odd years that the video game music has moved to a space where it is taken just as seriously and the uh, and the, and the top composers and conductors in that world are um are are up along the likes of along alongside John Williams um now moving into the future have you noticed that working it within the industry that that video game music is is being taken um more seriously now than than it would have been maybe you know even 10 years ago oh definitely and you know what this is just the same old story of music history you know anytime there's something new or there's a different genre especially in the orchestral world it takes a while for people to accept it i mean i remember um i was i mentioned the orchestra that my my classmate jillian saunders and i set up when i was in trinity when when we were doing that, um, and this is early 2000s, we, we did it to perform the scores that we were passionate about that hadn't been done in Dublin yet. Like, we're like, Braveheart. I mean, it, Ireland, it, you know, yeah, it's a Scottish mm. movie, but Ireland had such a part in that film. We performed Braveheart. We did some of the first performances of the um, the Batman scores. And, and, you know, we did a lot of cool things that we were just passionate about. And we threw classic repertoire that was used in films in there as well. That was that was placed in films, but um, and a lot you know which was very programmatic music. But at the time, it was like I remember one conductor saying to me, "I hear you're doing film music," like it was so <laughs> beneath, you know. And and you know that same guy today is doing film music every other week, and it's you know right. It's it's just I watched that happen and I'm seeing it happen with with video game music as well and I have to give huge props to Tommy Tallarico for breaking down a lot of of walls uh, with orchestras around the world and what would happen is they'd give him a chance because he's he'd talk them into it and then they see this incredible audience come in and treat the orchestra like they're the Rolling Stones you know, and the or- yeah, and and yeah. seeing the shock on the faces of the orchestra for the first time this happens is really endearing. You know, and it's 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 really really mm-hmm. fun. And like any other genre, there's there's great stuff, there's good stuff, and there's bad stuff. You know, uh, we don't know we don't know the bad music from the classical period because it didn't survive. We just know the best of it because that's what right. made it through. You know, we don't, uh, we don't know the bad romantic music um, of the romantic period because it didn't make it through. And similarly uh, with film music, um, the stuff that's going to make it through, I think is going to be um, the things that work on the concert stage that have uh, major themes um and have you know it also depends on who the composer is of course um but it'll be the same with video game music uh nobuo uamatsu i've performed the gosh the score from final fantasy 7 um so many times um he's a rock and roll guy um so early on yeah but he was a, a rock and roll guy who you could hear his orchestral sensibilities in his earlier stuff and then he worked with i wish i knew the guy's name i don't have the score in front of me but an amazing orchestrator who a lot of you know i i will give him a shout out and say a lot of the things that that actually i love umatsu's themes but a lot of the things that i love about the scores are actually the orchestrator's work as well especially well um let me think um the berry fatale is one even one winged angel which is uh you know you know um yeah (laughs) i can't say sephiroth like um but the orchestration (laughs) is fab and it's all like handwritten which is unthinkable now and and you know that that music has been around quite quite a while my my score for that is um spidery handwriting and you know lines with call this and call that scribbled all over it and things but um 
yeah, it 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 depends on in whose hands, and it and it's the same story throughout music history. Um, composers have collaborated with other media all through through music history, even if it's just you know and and folk music and and say uh, art music coming together where dance becomes part of of uh, of art music, gigs and you know all of that sort of thing, um, and then. Uh, utilitarian music where you know the the king needs music for his hunting with guys on horses with small timpani strapped to them and, and crumb horns and so on all of that through you know um, early ballet and early opera with Lully and, and, and Louis Cators you know so we've always had collaborations with different media today the the media we still we, we retain our, our our opera and our ballet and and our, you know, intermezzi for theatre and, and live theatre and so on. But we've also added all these other technological media, film, video games, even, you know, I, I mean, cell phones, anything. Anything where a composer can be employed to use their skills and and their talent to collaborate with another medium. And it, it runs the gamut between... Um, uh, utilitarian um, pop art and high art so all along there all along there you can have the same composer writing music in all of those areas uh, so um, you know this this genre is still pretty young but it has been around um, you know we were recording live choir on Metal Gear Solid and things like that but even in the early days of 8-bit and 16-bit music uh, on, on games, you could hear people like Koji Kondo, um, you could hear that he was going for that, but he didn't, with the the, um, the game engines couldn't quite, more, the technology wasn't there to um, contain what came from his imagination. But something interesting came out of that those limitations, uh, and that is... Um, uh, Kondasan for Nintendo is originally a programmer and he had to program every note of the Mario theme and the Zelda theme in note by note, arduously, one note at a time. So every note is important. And if you go back, if I may be so bold, and look at some of mm. Beethoven's sketches, you'll see um, his sketches, his themes start out much more complex than what he ends up with. He takes things away. They almost devolve down to their distilled, rather distills them down to their core, and you end up with ba 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 ba. You know, the most recognizable theme ever, probably. Um, and uh, uh, you can see that that Kondosan would have had to do that. And the result is that, I mean, how many years later? I mean, I did the twenty fifth anniversary of Zelda. How many years ago was that? Uh, you know, we must be. Oh gosh! But those themes are still as vibrant today uh, as they were when he programmed them in. And because, and my theory is, because he's so painstakingly had to choose note by note, he created themes that lasted. They have they're distilled down. Right. And we can there's there's literally thousands of of fan arrangements and pro arrangements of the Mario and Zelda themes and they they work because of this distillation. Let's let's take a step back for for a few moments Emer. I, I want to talk a little bit about your time um growing up in in Ireland. Tell me a little bit about your time with the uh, with the Ballinasloe Town Band and how um music education in in Ballinasloe played a big part in your life. So I grew up in uh, Kilconnell village uh, with about you know there were nine people in my in my elementary school class <laughs> and um uh, I you know everything for me has always been kind of accidental you know we were the way they hand out recorders in class our version of that was penny whistles or tin whistles as we call them in Ireland and um simply in that class my um my teacher figured out that I could I could play by ear and uh, just just 
and and funnily enough, I think there was a TV show in Ireland at the time called Glen Rowe, and I like to play the theme tune from that TV show on my tin whistle. Um, you know, that's how that's how down and grassroots I am. You know, anyone Irish listening to this is just going, oh, Glen Rowe got I roll. You know, um, but anyway, um, so you know. I was um, clearly something spoke to me about about you know themes on film and TV early on. But um, my primary school teacher and and bear in mind, I said there were nine people in my class, but there were three classes, as in three years of kids, uh, in the same classrooms. A typical country yeah. school, except it was actually an excellent country school. We were very very lucky. But um, she insisted Margaret Blaheen was her name. She insisted that I study music formally. And at the time, we didn't even own a piano, so I had to practice at school on the lunch breaks and everything. I was only, you know, six years of age or something, five or six. But um, then, I, you know, we have this system here uh, for American friends listening um, in Northwestern Europe where you do these grade exams and you, you practice and you study for your grade exam and then you pass on to the next grade and eventually you do your teaching diploma and all that. So that was my musical life, was just doing these grade exams. It was very, very solitary. And what happened, again, of course, by accident, uh, they built a new school in our village and they wanted to celebrate it with a typical Irish thing, a big mass. And you know what? I, I think in fairness, I need to acknowledge how much performing experience we got at mass. I mean, seriously, Keith. That's how I started. How many yeah. times. It I was, yeah. I was the little boy soprano in my in my school. Uh, I sang all the solos, and uh, so every every mass, uh, and and that is a real Irish thing. You yeah. know, any celebration, anything gets achieved by the by the community, we say a mass. Exactly. And uh, yeah, that was that was that was my start too. Was the was was, was church singing? Well, it it makes me, <laughs> in fairness, though, it makes me so jealous. My African American colleagues that started in in gospel choir, yeah, it ain't that. It's not the same. <laughs> you, no, you, you no, guys, you guys no, it's, have, you guys that's have not the, the type of singing. <laughs> yeah, you guys have the advantage on us. But I was the little girl soprano in my school. Um, but they, for right. some reason, they decided they wanted me to, or my my school principal. Uh, he want he always loved the traditional Irish flute, and he wanted me to to learn to play it for the mass. I don't know how, and I, I don't know how he came up with this idea. But two weeks before the thing, anyway, you know. I was given this wooden flute and, you know, up to that point I'd been playing this penny whistle and playing classical piano. And, uh, I, 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 I that woodwind player is going to laugh to hear this. But the first time I got, it, I was so obsessed with trying to get a sound out of it that I nearly passed out. I got so lightheaded. <laughs> um, I nearly passed out cause I'd never played anything like this before. And the, the Irish wooden flute, it was fully open hole. There were no, the one that I was given, that there you can get a, a sort of a boom system keys on it. But mine was just literally a hole that you blow in and holes that you cover with your fingers. Um, but I ended up playing a piece on the, I don't, I don't think I've told this story in an interview before, on the big mass anyway. <laughs> it was the lark in the clear air. I even remember that. I was about 10 years mm. of age. And um after that, um, the priest that lent us the instrument, oh my God, um, so Irish, um, said, you know, you should buy a, you should buy a concert flute anyway. And wait and you hear this, my brother, <laughs> my brother told me he'd lend me his Holy Communion money to buy one. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Keith, how do you get this stuff out of me? Oh, oh man. my God. So I, well, I, that's, I think that needs some context for our American <laughs> friends. Um, so yes, we for for any for any Catholic Americans, you'll know what the first Holy Communion is. But yeah. for anyone else, uh, we we are at seven years of age. When, when myself and Emer were, were kids, would have been seven years of age anyway. Um, you make your first Holy Communion, and it's a huge celebration. And you're you're brought around by your parents in your lovely suit or your lovely dress, and you're brought to every single family member to show up of that and they give you some money and that's your holy communion money and, and, and yeah <laughs> and people would say people would say that fella is so stingy he still has his holy communion money <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> 
Oh, that's lovely. He gave you, so he offered you his first Holy Communion money. Let let, (laughs) let me say, my husband is Jewish and he'd say, oh yeah, like your bar mitzvah money. I'm like, "Mm." but um, uh, we, yeah. So, so anyway, um, then of course, Balanced Slow, my parents said, oh, you know, uh, we were talking to friends. They know Noel Madden. He runs the town band. Will we bring you in and talk to Noel? And I, of course, I was mortified and nervous. I've never told this to Noel. Noel Madden, um, I'll tell you something, what that man has done in keeping the band together. <laughs> the number of us have come through mm. the band. Um, such a generous, generous spirit in the community. You know, we need so desperately, especially now, people like that. You are one of those people, Keith, by the way, um, which is why I'm on this podcast. And Noel, <laughs> I mean, gosh, I don't know how he, he did it, but he managed to... Um, run and and conduct a band and play in the band where all of these teenagers and preteens had nothing but the utmost of of love and respect for him. Um, But things like um, going from a solitary uh, classical experience into playing in the band just blew my mind that music, which at this point was very achievement-based, goal-oriented and quite academic, um, in terms of the way I was being taught, uh, all of a sudden became this super social, really, really fun. And it really changed my world. It's like, what? Nobody told me that music could be this much fun, you know? And and the things that Noel would do that in a small town uh, later became really important. I've spoken to you about this before is, you know, he'd throw a clarinet part mm. at me. And I was too young to know that this transposing was supposed to be a little bit difficult or whatever and you just you just do you just take it on the chin like everything else you're doing because everything's new you know and um Mm -hmm. you know it, it was just and the fun and the trips and you know all of us that were in the band at that period um some of whom are on the 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 board now or the committee um we remember those trips so well and and it's such an important part of your your preteen and teens to to be in a a social structure that is merit based and is is nourishing and you know that it's it's not based on you know on material things at all. I think teenagers in particular need so an outlet that that's it's it's so much it's this there was no pressure we were in the band there was no social pressure it was you know you you're playing with everybody and when the music starts you know it's it's all about what you can contribute and everybody has to contribute and everybody has something to contribute and i i find you know the more i think about it as a parent now um the more I realize what Noel and the other senior members of the band, what they gave us, and it went so far beyond the music. Um, and, you know, it, it just, I feel passionately about the importance in every small town and village and, and big city and small city and high school and university. I feel passionately about the the social aspect and the the mental health aspects for young adults in particular of, of being together in a, a different, a, a social environment with different priorities and very healthy priorities and where you must contribute, you can contribute and you, your contribution is, is appreciated. Um, and you're literally given a voice and for people who may feel voiceless in other areas of their life, I, I think it's, it's beyond value. Emer, there's no better way to finish up than than that. I think um, it's been great having you. It's been great able to talk to you about this. Um, and uh, I mean, thank you for your continued support for the Balanced Low Town Band. And I suppose as you you know as you support the Balanced Low Town Band, you then support other community banding across the country because you, I think you're you're an amazing example of someone that has come from that community system. Um, and uh, hopefully we, we can get a little bit more support for that community system over the over the years to come. Well, let me tell you, there is no support that I can give that will ever repay what I was given um, by the Balanced Slow Town Band and by Noel Madden and the people that, 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 uh, that give their time freely and their energy and, and their love. 
um, to to others and to especially to young adults and, and kids in their community. So it's um, it's just a my my karma is definitely in the red <laughs> when it comes to balance slow down bad. <laughs> But uh, it's been a pleasure, Keith. Thank you for what you do and continue to do. And, and uh, this has been really fun. Thanks, Emer. A huge thank you to Emer for joining me on this episode. I'll be back in a few weeks with the final episode of Season 1 of Finding Drum Corps and our new series focusing on the 2020 crisis and the band world's response. So head over to your favourite podcast catcher and make sure that you subscribe. In the meantime, you can stay up to date with me on Facebook and Instagram at The Global Band Room, and if you're interested in Irish banding, at Bands of Ireland. So until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you back in the band room.